Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sue. Last week, we spent time with James and John, sons of Zebedee, who came to Jesus craftily and told him, rather than asking him, to do whatever it was they wanted him to do. Jesus, who was wise to their game, asked the men, what do you want me to do for you? They told him they wanted to sit in positions of honor when he came into his glory. Jesus, their friend and teacher, had just told them that he was going to die, and soon, by the empire at their hand, in a most humiliating fashion. Instead of talking with him about this, James and John opportunistically asked for positions at his right and left. Glory, they believed, was due them because of their proximity to Jesus. We also talked about how living in a community of faith has a way of shaping our desires toward the ends of God to create a just, kind world for all, especially those who are most vulnerable. Today's lection, as Sue said, directly follows last week's. Not a single verse is between them. The text is interesting both in its similarities to and differences from last week's. As you heard, Jesus asks Bartimaeus the same question word for word that he asked James and John. What do you want me to do for you? But the answers the men gave Jesus were rather different. Cynthia A. Jarvis writes, The one answer rests on well-established religious laurels. The other petition issues from darkness and doubt. The one request would sidestep suffering. The other is forged out of loss exclusion, and helplessness. The one is bent on an exclusive claim to righteousness. The other is bowed down in need before the son who alone is righteous. The story reveals something of the nature of our ministry to both insiders and outsiders. With that grounding, let's look to the text. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Luis Menendez Atunya writes, 
Although the narrative does not offer more details, the reader realizes that he is a liminal character outside of the city, outside of the path, outside of the light, and outside of the economy. Bartimaeus, like many beneficiaries of Jesus's healing, embodies the effects of social exclusion. We should also keep in mind that such a position most likely kept Bartimaeus from having a household. Although he is the son of Timaeus, men in his situation would not be able to form a family, work to sustain him or, him or his dependents, or fulfill some obligations proper to civic and religious life. In short, Bartimaeus is a true outsider. The phrase, have mercy on me, doesn't translate well from the Greek. It's more like, help me, or most literally, mercify me. And in response, the text says, many ordered Bartimaeus to be quiet. And though Jesus has just finished telling the disciples that the last shall be first and the first last, we have no evidence that they remembered this lesson or responded to it. Because this message was about the new social order that the gospel was to usher in, yet no one challenged the voices in the crowd seeking to quiet Bartimaeus. How often do we seek to silence the vulnerable who call our attention to the pain and problems they experience because we don't want to sit in it with them? How often do we, like James and John and all of the disciples, forget that the last shall be first in God's realm? In response, the text says, Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, for he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Interestingly, Jesus does not lecture the crowd, nor does he interact with them at all, rather than telling, other than telling them to bring Bartimaeus to him. And yet, in so doing, he invites the crowd into the circle of witnesses, and therefore potential disciples, as they watch the kingdom come in their midst. At having been called to Jesus, Bartimaeus throws off his cloak, likely his most valuable possession. It is his cloak that would have kept him warm on those cold nights where an unhoused man slept on the ground. It is his cloak that would have held all of his meager results of his begging. It is a symbol of throwing off his old life and finding himself dramatically changed. And what I find most interesting about this action of Bartimaeus is that he throws off his cloak before he is healed. It is a symbol of his belief in the work of Jesus that has not yet come for him. The text continues, Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, Rabboni, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Unlike the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida, where Jesus touches him twice with his spittle, this time a single sentence accomplishes the task. Yet unique among the healing miracles in the Gospel of Mark, after he is healed, Bartimaeus follows Jesus. 
They are on their way to Jerusalem, the place where Jesus soon will be tried, tortured, and murdered for his radical inclusivity of the least of these. He will die for the way he proclaims in word and deed freedom for the captive. Bartimaeus has heard, and so too now he sees. We have heard the gospel, many of us, for our entire lives. But what will it take for us to spring up from the place of our affliction and humbly respond to Jesus' question with the request, let me see again? Are we brave enough to see that which surrounds us, the need and pain and despair so near the edges of our lives? When we are part of a faith community, We are privileged to see as Bartimaeus sees and to bring in healing as Jesus brings in healing. Last week, I shared half of Sharad Yadav's list of 10 reasons to be part of a church. I wanted to share the other five with you now in light of the story of Bartimaeus and his healing. Number one, Joining a church is a way of practicing among a small group of people over a significant period of time what you'd like the world to be like. Jesus healed Bartimaeus, that is, performed an act such that he was able to rejoin society as a full member. But to do that, he had to be willing to see Bartimaeus, to hear him, to be moved by his pain and to respond to it. We are called to the same, even if our means and methods differ. Number two, to join a church is to resist all traditional loyalties to state, party, culture, family, or affinity in an act of loyalty to a group that transcends all natural categories. Bartimaeus's culture said he, a blind beggar, was not part of society. Our culture is hardly different except that instead of believing a person is sick because of sin or demons, we believe it's because they don't work hard enough to be more than they are presently. The voice of Jesus living through us is a voice that asks, what do you want me to do for you? And is open to hearing the response before simply deciding a person is not worth our time or efforts. Number three, to join a church is to cultivate an imagination for how your unique talents and creative potential can be offered on purpose for love instead of money. I don't personally know anyone who is able to speak a few words or lay hands on another where the outcome is complete and immediate restoration. I don't know anyone who has all of the resources to affect change where they are. But I do know that in a church, we have a range of skills, abilities, time, and financial resources to shape the culture where we are. This is that to which we are called. And the fourth point is like the third. Joining a church organizes your financial priorities around supporting an inclusive community for vulnerable people that you actually have to live with. Yeah, exactly. The healing of Bartimaeus restores a person to community It gives him full access to the life going on around him. After his restoration, he would have been able to have a family, to worship with everyone else in the temple, to live as a person with rights and responsibilities in his culture. 
Bartimaeus would now be one who was intimately involved with life as others had long known it. In healing him, Jesus knew he would have to live life with Bartimaeus rather than merely casting a few coins in his direction. Are we willing to do the same, to help people such that they may become part of our community and then receive them into it for the long term? It's a hard question. And finally, number five, to join a church is to cultivate an environment unlike your home, work, or play, where your life is not measured according to any other purpose or goal than to discover and enjoy your own humanity. Can we even imagine a part of our lives where we are committed to discovering and enjoying the depth of our humanity? In the church, in organizing our lives around worship and service, we are privileged to see our failings, that is, our humanity. We are privileged to see our generosity, that is, our humanity. Our fears and our strivings, those are our humanity. In the church, we are privileged to see who we are, and who we may become when we accept and enjoy our very humanness, which in turn makes us more human. As we dream of the future of Christ's church, may we continually remember his question, what do you want me to do for you? May we respond in faith, throwing off that which encumbers us, and may we be moved from one sitting by the side of the road to those following him along the way. Amen.